Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number seven. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports here. The MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show. But I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. So today we're going to talk about uh, the pretty much the same topics as the last several weeks. Uh, the MLB playoff picture is fully into focus now, and the playoffs actually start today. It's October 3rd, 2023, uh, 2.40 p.m., so actually the Rangers and Rays game is underway. Uh, then we're going to talk about the NFL, uh, week four, my thoughts and opinions on those games, uh, and uh, NASCAR and how the uh, Talladega race went and how the playoffs in NASCAR are looking heading into the Charlotte Roval this coming Sunday. So, uh, first and foremost here, um, over in the MLB, uh, the Rangers, uh, of course, they're my hometown team. I'm a Yankees fan overall, but, you know, I root for the Rangers because uh, I go to so many games, they're in close proximity. But uh, they choked away their chance at uh, winning the division. All they had to do really going into that four-game set in Seattle was win two games. They only won one. So they clinched a playoff spot, but they uh, are going to have to play the Rays in this wild card series as the five seed, and they will not have home field advantage until possibly the World Series. And then, only if they played Miami or Arizona, I think. I could be wrong. Um, I guess it depends on the, the win total, but... Either way, uh, the Rangers uh, were not able to uh, secure that that uh, division win. All they needed to do was win on the last day, and they lost one to nothing. So that wasn't good for them. Uh, Seattle did not make it. That uh, that was the biggest battle in all of baseball was between the Rangers, Astros, and Mariners to see who would make it into basically the two spots that they could make it into. Actually, they could have all three made it if Toronto had had fumbled really hard, um, which was possible too. But Seattle does not make it another heartbreaking uh, season for the Mariners. But uh, the teams that did make it, well, Baltimore secured the number one seed, Houston the number two seed, the Twins the number three seed, the Rays the number four seed, the Rangers the number five seed, and the Blue Jays the number six seed in the AL. Over in the NL, the Braves with the one seed, the Dodgers with the two seed, the Brewers with the three seed, the Milwaukee with the fourth seed, Miami with the fifth seed, and Arizona snuck in with the sixth seed. The Cubs missed the playoffs. I believe they went like 7-14 and 14 in their last 21 games. Um, whereas if they had, I think if they'd even have won 8 or 9 or 10, just did a handful more. Uh, than what they did, they would have made it, and Arizona would not have. However, uh, that's how it all shakes out. The Orioles and Astros, of course, have a bye. They do not have to play in the wild card round. They get to wait in the division series, as do the Braves and Dodgers over in the NL. So we have uh, Texas and Tampa Bay, the Twins and the Jays, the Brewers and the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and the Marlins in the first round. This wild card round is no longer a one-game playoff as it used to be, uh, which I do think is a good change. It is now a three-game series, so you got to take two out of three, and uh, those games are underway as of today, as I said earlier. So, um, you know, predictions here. 
Um, you know, I need to go ahead and get on record here before this Rangers and Rays game progresses any further. Uh, I need to go ahead and get on record with my picks. But um, I think that the Jays will make it out of the first round against the Twins. I think that the Rangers will defeat the Rays. I think that might be a surprise to everybody. We'll see. Uh, it really all depends on what Ranger team shows up. I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa Bay beats them too, but I think it's going to be uh, Rangers coming out of that one to play Baltimore, and I think the the Jays will play Houston. Um, you know, we'll go ahead and save. Uh, you know, well, I I guess actually I'll I'll go ahead and make a full prediction all the way through to the World Series, but of course after each round and where I'm wrong and stuff, I'll make predictions for those series individually. But yeah, we'll go ahead and go through. So uh, we'll start there because the Baltimore's one seed. So I'm going to say the Rays uh, fall to the Rangers. I'm going to say, man, in a in a so the ALDS is a full seven game series, uh, I believe, or no? Do they? Is it still five games? Let's find out. I couldn't remember if they... Nope, it's best of five. Okay, they said they didn't change. That was basketball, I think I was thinking of, where they changed the first round from five to seven. So it is a five-game series, so you got to take three of five. Ooh, man. Um, I think it's tough to bet against the uh, the the Orioles being the one seed and that they've looked really sharp all year. Uh, but I do think that between Tampa Bay and Texas, if a team was to win, or if, if there's any team in this playoffs, any teams that in this playoffs that, that could unseat them, I mean, it's baseball, anything can happen, right? But... I think Houston, now they wouldn't have to play them till the ALCS if they all make it that far. I think Houston could beat Baltimore. I'm obviously rooting against that. Screw Houston. Everybody hates Houston. All my homies hate Houston. Um, but I I think the Rangers have a chance of beating them in a five-game playoff, five-game series. Uh, I do. The, the thing that it comes down to for Texas is their bullpen, pure and simple. Their starters have been pretty good, even though they're all they're wounded. Uh, their starting pitching has been not bad. Their bullpen has been atrocious. I, I give the edge to Baltimore. I'm going to choose Baltimore. I'm going to say that they that they would win that series. Um, but if anybody has a chance in the AL, it's Houston or Texas. I do not think anybody else is strong enough to beat them. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is kind of too wounded, and, and they slowed down to the mean. So even if Tampa Bay gets past Texas, I just don't think they're beating Baltimore. Um between the Twins and the Jays for facing Houston, uh, the Jays absolutely have the best chance of beating Houston. I think that's not even close. The the Twins, sorry Twins fans out there, the Twins suck. Like I, I don't care that they won eighty seven games. The team is is mid. Um, I, they were playing in a in the worst division in baseball. Uh, they obviously didn't have nineteen games per opponent as previous years I think it was 13 games per opponent but they still got to play the worst teams in baseball um for a lot of games and uh you know you go go ahead and throw them in the AL East uh or the NL East or the you know just go ahead and throw them just about anywhere else and see how many games they would have won it wouldn't have been 87 I'll tell you that so I'm sorry Twins fans but in this man's opinion they stank uh, I've, they would have, I think, zero chance of beating Houston. 
uh, in that in that deal. So I guess I'm rooting for the Jays uh, over the Twins to, uh, because they have the best chance at at possibly knocking knocking Houston out. Um. So, but I'm still going to give the upper hand to Houston over those two teams because they're both. I don't think they're both that great. So I'm going to say Houston's going to make it to another ALCS uh, because you know, and that and that's what hurts for the for the Rangers is like I, my brother, you know, is a big Rangers fan, and I told him like they've got you know down the, the last couple weeks of the season they've got to win the division. If you win the division, you have a free trip to the ALCS because if the like the Twins and Jays, I think they're more than capable of handling them. Uh, I said you've pretty much got a free trip to the ALCS if they if they can win the division, but they didn't, and now they're going to have to fight through Tampa Bay if they want to, and fight through Baltimore. It's it's a very it's a much tougher road. And Houston, I think that's what's pissed me off about Houston in particular the last six years too, with them cakewalking the AL West, which was the worst division in baseball, or at least just as bad as the Central AL Central. Uh, they the Astros cakewalked the AL West every year with the Rangers being awful, the Angels being awful, the A's being awful, right? Uh, and the Mariners being awful. They they would cakewalk, win the division, no problem, you know, win it by 20 games. Uh, and they'd be waiting for, uh, with a top seed, uh, it, they'd be waiting for an easy team to play in the, uh, in the division series, which they did year after year. And this was, Oh my God, they keep making the ALCS. Yeah. But they, they keep having a cakewalk year. Context is important. I mean, they went out and won those games. You can go out and lose games against, um, you know, against, um, inferior opponents. You sure can, you can lose focus, but, uh, I think it's, it's the same principle as Brady and the Patriots in new England. All those years, they played in the easiest division in football. The Jets were pretty much awful, except for like two years randomly, about a decade ago, right? Or whenever that was, 2011, 2010, 2011, somewhere in there with Sanchez and uh, Ryan coaching. They had a couple of good years, but the Jets were awful. The Dolphins were awful. The Bills were awful. Uh, and the Patriots sat there and uh, feasted because they got to play six games against those guys all year. Uh, so that was pretty much six automatic wins on the schedule. And, uh, you know, when, when the rest of your schedule is boiled down to, if you go 500, you'll be a top two seed in the AFC most likely, right? Uh, it makes sure it makes things a whole hell of a lot easier when you only have to go five and five out of your division. Uh, and of course those teams were good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and everything too, like the Pats were obviously good. Uh, they were not mediocre. Uh, or anything, but it made their path way easier when they were guaranteed. They were pretty much guaranteed a buy every year as long as they didn't pee all over their own legs uh, throughout the season, which they did. And uh, obviously, Belichick was a great coach, and Brady was a good player, great player. But um, you know, uh, they it it reminds me of that. The Houston, the last six years for Houston, reminds me of that. And it, but you know, yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta tip the cap at the very minimum because they went out there and won the games Houston did and new England did, uh, that they were supposed to, but it still, it just stings a little bit when you go, man, they, they sit there and, and they just, they're in a very advantageous position, uh, you know, to, to advance very easily, um, and, uh, set themselves up for very good success because of the incompetency of other teams basically. And, uh, that sucks. But, uh, 
you know, uh, New England over there in the in the NFL. It's it was the same thing. If you don't believe me, you know, go look at go look at the records. Go look at the results of the Dolphins, Bills, and Jets from basically what when did Brady take over ninety nine or two thousand until Brady left the division. The moment Brady leaves the division, the Dolphins get better, and the Bills turn into a good team. The moment he leaves, he dips out. He says, "Yeah, get, take me down to that NFC South. That's really awful. Take me down there." Uh, I'd rather play down there than up with these guys that are coming. So, um, you know, that was a, that was a really, oh, it was a painful thing as an NFL fan every year. You could say the same thing. I'm getting a little, I'm getting very off topic from the MLB here, but you know, you could say the same thing. I mean, credit to the Eagles. The Eagles are absolutely, they are a good team. So, you know, it's, again, it's not me sort of taking away from them, but their run to the Super Bowl last year was so easy. I mean, so easy, right? They get a first round bye. They get a first round bye um, for having the best record. You know, you can't take that away from them. That's very good stuff. But they get a first round bye um, from having a, having a good record all year. They then play the Giants who were, God, don't even get me started. We'll talk about that later. But, you know, the Giants, who were a much inferior team to everybody else in the playoffs that would have matched up against them. Uh, The Giants, of course, beat the Vikings in the first round that last year. But this is just another example of this. I'm sorry, I'm going way off topic here. But um, the... Uh, the Eagles got to play the Giants, which was a massive mismatch. I mean, you know, the Giants had a solid year last year, but they were not even close to the to the level of 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 the Eagles. Then they had to they got to play. They were going to play the Forty ers right? And that was oh boy, this could be a good game, right? Well, Brock Purdy tears his UCL on the first drive of the game, uh, and they bring in Josh Johnson. I think it was, it's, you know, just total jobber that has no business being out there in the NFC championship game. Um, and they, uh, the Eagles basically got to play a team, not even basically the Josh Johnson got hurt early in the third quarter, right after halftime concussion. So they had to put Purdy back in who quite literally could not throw the football, just couldn't do it. His arm was incapable. It was broken. It was incapable of doing it towards UCL. He had to hand the ball off on every play. So the Eagles basically played an NFC championship game against a team that did not have a quarterback and had to run the ball on every play. Uh, So, you know, that was just, uh, I mean, God, what a cakewalk that was. Giants and then a team without a quarterback. And uh, with, and it's it's funny to say that because I could be talking about like a crappy quarterback, like playing the Raiders this year is like playing a team without a quarterback, right? With Jimmy G. No, no, no. They literally didn't have a quarterback. So, you know, that that's super insane. Uh, and then they, you know, they went to the Super Bowl. And, and uh, you know, obviously, yes, they had to win those games and not make mistakes. But, my gosh, I couldn't think of an easier, more cakewalky run to the Super Bowl uh, in recent memory than that. That was unbelievable uh, how easily they got there. So, anyway, back on tra- uh, track to baseball here, though. they uh, The Astros have kind of had that you know, easier path. I'm not sure they've quite had a cakewalk. Last year was kind of a cakewalk to the World Series for them, but uh, they they have had uh, some easier runs to the World Series for sure. 
uh, as a result of their division and and uh, you know their opponents and things. But um, the you know I, I I'll pick them to go to the ALCS. Kind of going back to where we were going, I'll pick them to go to the ALCS. Uh, I'll pick Baltimore uh, to go ahead and advance to the ALCS as well. And that's where I think Houston falters. I truly, I truly think that both. So Houston has the experience. They've been there. But um, I really think that Baltimore matches up well and will advance to the World Series uh, against uh, against Houston. And it's one of these deals where I just have this feeling in my gut that it won't even really be close either. I think they'll beat them like 4-1. And... Uh, I believe over in the NL, I think the Phillies will top the Marlins in that round. I think that the Brewers will top the Diamondbacks in that round. And I think that the Dodgers will beat the Brewers and head to the NLCS. I think that the Braves will beat the Phillies and head to the NLCS. And I think the Braves will top the Dodgers in the NLCS. So I think we're looking at a Braves Orioles world series. And, you know, I, I just, I got to tip the cap. The Braves are the, I mean, that's the team to beat. So I think they're your world series champions again this year. It's the team to beat. They are, they are tough. I mean, great pitching, um, and, uh, a phenomenal offense. So, I think they're the team to beat. I think they're the World Series champions. But that's why we got to let this all sort out because I'm, you know, maybe the predictions, my predictions will go exactly the way that uh, that I say. But uh, more than likely, they won't <laughs> because, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the nature of the postseason. So we'll see, right? Uh, but those are my picks, and we'll we'll check in each round and all the way at the end and kind of compare them back to the original original uh, takes here that I had. Um. I think that's what's going to happen so uh outside that there were some managers that lost their jobs um i believe the angels fired phil nevin the um giants fired gabe kapler uh i'm not sure what the show walter deal was with the mets i don't know that they fired him or that he sort of i i i gotta say that they fired him but that they allowed they had the grace to allow buck to frame it as that he was walking away i think joe uh joe buck uh, buck showalter is uh going to be retired now uh, i i don't see him looking for another job i, I don't think he wants another job I, buck's uh early 70s i think so uh you got to think that that buck is probably hanging him up and uh put it this way that um he wouldn't have minded to continue to manage a winning baseball team, but when they probably came to him and said, Buck, we got to let you go, I don't think he was super broken up about it. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's, I'm sure he was broken up about the fact that, that they didn't succeed or achieve. He, you know, he, he wants to win but and everything, but uh, I think he was probably uh, like, you know, hey, yeah, you know, yeah, all right. <sighs> you know how about you let me how about you let me go out with some grace and i'm i'm gonna go ahead and retire you know and everything and and don't fire me embarrass me sort of thing right so i think that's probably kind of how that went down um and um 
you know, so bravo to the Mets for, you know, having that grace, allowing him to to say that I will not be the Mets manager next year, you know, I'm, and I'm stepping away. So, uh, if that's indeed how that went down, I suppose, but, uh, yeah. So Nevin gone with the angels, uh, buck out of the, out of the Mets, um, and, uh, Kapler gone from the, from the giants. I'm not sure there might've been more, The freaking Yankees should have fired Aaron Boone, but it looks like they're going to keep him, which I'm, pretty amazed at because it sounded like i i think that the last month of the season saved his job i think if they'd continued in a tailspin uh he would have been gone because hal steinbrenner sounded very pissed off about uh both cashman and boone the the reports from about six weeks ago were that he was upset with both of them but that cashman would be keeping his job but that uh but that Boone was most certainly on the hot seat. And I think he was, he, he managed his way to keeping his freaking job, uh, which I just don't think he should have uh, as a Yankee fan. But, you know, we'll, we'll dissect more of that when we get some more movement around the league, uh, probably after the postseason. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of wraps up the MLB discussion here. kind of gave my predictions and, uh, and everything. I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, and we'll have to kind of strap in and see if, that's indeed what happens. So we're going to move on to the NFL now. So over on the NFL side of things, we'll go ahead and um, recap. Uh, we have to we have to compare this uh, side to side, side by side, to what I uh, predicted. Uh, if you remember, if you listened to last week's episode, I made predictions on each of these games as to who would win. And uh, I want to see how right or wrong I was. So how many games were there, first of all? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. 16 games. Nobody had a bye week yet, I guess. It's too early for that. I guess the buys only start kicking in around, what, week 6 or 7 or something. Um, so 16 games. All right, um, Lions Packers. Uh, let me find the find the little check mark on my phone here. Okay, Lions Packers. Uh, the I said in last week's episode, and if you don't believe me, you can run the tape. I ain't lying to you. The Lions. I said Lions over Packers. The Lions did indeed win. They beat the Packers thirty four twenty. Last week I said Jaguars over Falcons. Another correct pick. The Jaguars defeated the Falcons 23-7. Bills-Dolphins. Um, I said Bills would be taking that one, and that is another correct pick. Uh, the Bills defeated the Dolphins 48-20. to So the Dolphins go from blowing out the Broncos 70-20 to to getting blown out themselves 48-20. It was looking like it was going to be a pretty good game early. They were, um, through the first half, it was... It was tied, or it was it was you know twenty one twenty, or it was you know it was right in that uh, range, and uh, then the Bills just pulled away and uh, ended up blowing them out, made it not even close. Um, let's see, I said Vikings over Panthers, and guess what? The Vikings defeated the Panthers. I said Broncos over Bears. This one was in jeopardy, but I was correct as the Broncos did defeat the Bears 31-28 with a late field goal. They were actually down 28-7 to uh, and then came storming back, and the Bears sealed their fate with uh, 
you know, they had a chance at the end. They had the ball. They had timeouts. They had, um, you know, a little bit of time. And they, uh, Justin Fields threw a game-ending interception. Shocker, shocker. Um, the, I said Ravens over Browns. Uh, that was in um, Cleveland. And I said Ravens over Browns right again. Uh, I said they, they beat them 28-3. to uh, Sean Watson did not play. He uh, he was out with an injury. Uh, Steelers and Texans. Here is my first miss. My first miss. Uh, the I said Steelers over the Texans. The Texans blew the Steelers out, thirty to uh, six. So I've got to put a little. Um, I got to put some kind of emoji here for that on my on my phone. Let's see. I was wrong. There we go. There's an X. Um. So, let's see. Back to that, back to that. Okay, Colts and Rams. Uh, Rams and Colts playing. Uh, I chose the Colts in that game and was wrong. Uh, The Rams beat them 29-23. So, another wrong one for me there. Uh, I chose in the Buccaneers-Saints game. I chose the Buccaneers. We were right, right there. Um. 26 to 9 in that one uh, for the Buccaneers beating the Saints pretty easily. Uh, Eagles Commanders. Uh, the Eagles actually pulled it off in overtime. It was a close game. I chose the Eagles last week to win that game. Didn't think it would be quite that close, but uh, Washington actually led. Sam Howell led a game winning drive with, I think, about a minute 20 and one timeout and drove them downfield and through a touchdown pass with no time on the clock uh, to tie the game and send it to overtime. But uh, the Eagles ended up prevailing in overtime, 34-31. Bengals-Titans. I chose the Bengals to bounce back against the Titans, and I was wrong there. Uh, The Titans defeated the Bengals 27-3, and uh, Burrow was once again bad. So I have no idea what's going on with Joe Burrow and the Bengals, but uh, he, oh boy, what a rough start for him and that team. And uh, some of the players on the Bengals starting to be vocal to the media about their frustrations. Uh, Jamar Chase in particular, uh, I believe, said, I'm I'm open on every play. I'm open. So uh, some frustration for Jamar there. Uh, Raiders Chargers. I took the Chargers over the Raiders and was right there. Uh, 24-17, as I recall, I don't think that game was nearly as close. That final score indicates that it was a one-score game. Uh, I think the Raiders got one in garbage time there or something because the Chargers just manhandled them, had no problem uh, with them. Cowboys-Patriots, uh, I predicted a Cowboy win. I was right on that front, 38-3, to just blew them out. Mac Jones sucks, the Pats suck. Uh, if you were holding out hope as a Patriots fan this year, sorry, they suck. Uh, it's just, they're, they're just bad. They're not a good football team. Uh, Mac Jones is not the answer. And, um, dare I say that Belichick might be, you know, his defensives without Brady have, have still been good in the post Brady era. Obviously, you know, everybody just quick little side note here, uh, to continue my Tom Brady, um, to make sure that we, we tear him down when we can, uh, you know, when Brady left, people people have been like, oh, nope, it was all Brady. Belichick rode Brady's coattails, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. 
I think that Brady and Belichick, personal, genuine opinion, is that I think that they were both good for each other. You know, I think that that Brady benefited from Belichick's defenses setting them up in good positions, and from the you know the 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 philosophy, the the uh, Brady benefited from from Belichick's philosophy philosophy, and uh, Belichick benefited from Brady's ability to manage a game well. Um, you know, and so when you take one of those elements away, which was the managing a game well, and you have Mac Jones, that goes to hell. But it, it's deeper than Mac Jones. The Patriots, as as probably many people recall, Tom Brady's last play as a New England Patriot was throwing a pick six to lose a playoff game after a mediocre season that New England had. Um, and so basically, it was pretty clear that that Brady and New England that that was coming to a close and that like new England was cracking. The team was cracking. Let's put it that way. And Brady saw that and they had the riff with the front office or Belichick or whatever happened there. And he dipped, he got out before it got ugly. If Brady had stayed there the last three years, I don't think that much changes for new England the last three years. Maybe they're not quite as bad as they have been right the past three years, but they're not good either. And they're a one and done kind of team or a team that maybe wins a playoff game but gets beat down in the divisional round. They, I, I do not think anything changes. And that's not a knock. I'm not, I really genuinely, I mean, my feelings about Brady are pretty public, but um, I, that's not a knock on Brady or Belichick. It's like, it's just a thing of that, that the team was cracking and just wasn't set up to continue to be perennial Super Bowl contenders by the time that Brady left. They were already cracking. They were already mediocre. And that that last season in New England was a perfect example of that. Uh, so yeah, New England sucks, um, and uh, that's really not a surprise to me. Uh, the Forty ers beat the Cardinals thirty five sixteen, handled them very easily, blew them out. McCaffrey four touchdowns. People starting to whisper the possibility of a running back winning MVP. We'll see how that continues to develop. Chiefs beat the Jets. What a weird game that was, huh? Zach Wilson looked like Zach Wilson in the first quarter. Then he looked like Aaron Rodgers for the next three. Uh, very strange. The Chiefs were blowing them out 17 to nothing, but they hold on to win 23-20. Uh, Mahomes with a couple of picks. And uh, basically those Mahomes picks, from I watched the game, uh, those Mahomes picks were basically Mahomes getting a little too cute, uh, is what it, which he do, has a tendency to do sometimes uh, just because I think he's bored or he wants to hit the home run. And everything he has a tendency to do that sometimes it usually does not cost them the game when he does that. Uh, I, I will say that it's it's rarely cost them the game when he gets too cute. He knows when to sack up and 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 you know uh, play right. But um, they uh, the 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 Chiefs um, you know faltered a bit in the second half of that game. They um, but. You know, that's not entirely shocking because the Jets might be one and three, but they truly, their defense is extremely good. And that may not be evident by them losing 30 to 10 to the Cowboys and I don't, what even happened to the Jets last week. But the, the problem is this is something that casuals don't understand and uh, that you can take this information and explain it to a casual the next time that they're being stupid. Okay, the Jets do have an extremely good defense. I'd say the same if they gave up 40. To the to the to the Chiefs, they have a good defense, but the problem is is that good defenses, okay, they only succeed 
when they have time to get off the field and their offense gives them time to rest and regroup and everything and eat clock game clock, right? To eat time off the game. When your defense has to go out and be on the field a ton, it doesn't matter if you have the 85 Bears or the Legion of Boom or the 2000 Ravens out there. Doesn't matter. 2002, whatever team that was for the Ravens, it was super good. It does not matter. You could put the 85 Bears out there, and um, if your offense goes three and out every time and your defense is on the field a dozen times in the game, 15 times in the game, they're going to give up points. They just they cannot hold for that long. They just can't. Uh, it it if if they if your offense goes out and only spends two or three minutes on the field and then you, the defense got to go right back out there for an entire half of football, for example, they're going to crack come the third quarter. They're just going to be tired. They're not going. You're not giving them. You're not setting them up for success because uh, it takes a truly incompetent offense like the Giants last night in order to not punish a defense that's been on the field too much. And uh, so, you know, the Jets do have a good defense. And, uh, yeah, take that, put that in your pocket, and explain it to some casual who's like, oh, their their defense isn't that good, blah, 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 about anybody. It could be You could be talking about anybody that has a good defense or known to have a good defense this year. If your offense does not eat up five or six minutes of the game clock when they have the football, then you're – you're, it doesn't matter if you have the 85 bears they're not going to be able to hold for that long they're gonna it's gonna be real tough they're gonna crack at some point and um yeah the chiefs defense though or sorry the jets defense that being said played well against the chiefs they did they didn't it didn't start off that way but they held when the offense began to run longer drives for them uh and Zach Wilson actually weirdly looked good. Uh, in the in the three quarters of that game, he looked good, and um, the uh, the the Jets defense genuinely played quite well. They they played quite well. They took a lot of weapons out of the equation, and and uh, you know forced Mahomes into some awkward spots, and and um, they played very well in that game. So, uh, if the Jets are going to win and and hold off for any hope that Rodgers somehow returns in January. Uh, they're going to have to gut out some wins uh, like that, and they're simply going to need they're going to need Zach Wilson to play like that. If Zach Wilson plays like that somehow for the rest of the year, they'll finish with a positive record. They will, uh, and we can come back to this at the end of the season. Only if Zach Wilson plays well. Uh, if Zach Wilson, uh, you know turns back into the Zach Wilson that we know the majority of the time, then this won't even be a conversation and they'll win three or four games. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. And uh, so I was right about that one, took the Chiefs over the Jets. Um, Seahawks and Giants, here's another one where I was wrong. Uh, I took the Giants over the Seahawks. I thought at home, uh, you know, against a – against Geno Smith and the and the Seahawks. Not that Geno has played horrible or anything um, this season or last. He's played solid. But I just thought the Giants might have a chance to bounce back. Um, even without Saquon Barkley still, I thought they might have a chance to bounce back. Uh, they did not. I watched the entire game. I sat through the, the torture because uh, I, I watched it with my, my dad and, uh, and everything. And um, 
It was awful. Uh, the crazy thing was that Seattle offensively did not really play that well. The Giants' defense really played good. Giants' defense was there uh, for the most part. They made some mistakes. There were some problems that they had, obviously, but they uh, they played pretty well. They played well enough for the Giants to that they should have won that game. Uh, the Seahawks uh, beat them 24-3. So what happened? How'd they get those 24 points for Seattle? Daniel Jones fumbled. Uh, and it was uh, picked up and and taken down to about ten yard line, pretty easy touchdown. Excuse me. And um, then there was a missed tackle. It was basically a when uh, Geno Smith was in the locker room getting his knee looked at. Uh, Drew Locke throws a check down, a five yard check down to the tight end uh, Noah Fant who runs it up the sidelines for 52 yards down to the one-yard line after three Giants defenders had a chance to knock him out of bounds. Uh, they were unable to somehow. So that was the that was basically the one sequence where the defense played poorly. They they were not able to... Um, they were not able to stop him, and that led to seven points. Then Daniel Jones threw a pick six... Um, returned for 97 yards from inside the 10 when the Giants still had a chance in the game. Uh, it was 14-3, to and it looked like, okay, might be able to make 14-10, fight back in this thing. Pick six, 97 yards, uh, and that pretty much buried them, put the game away, and sucked the rest of the air out of the building. Uh, though there was not much air in the building at that point anyway. Um, and uh, three points at the end. Um, off of another turnover from Jones that was, we'll talk about Jones here in a second. But um, yeah, the Giants defense honestly played pretty well. I mean, there's a pick six and um, a fumble that put the put the the Seahawks inside the ten. Uh, so they played well enough for for New York to have should have won that game. Put it that way. And uh, outside of the missed tackle on the on the 51 yard run down to the end zone. Um, there were some spots where the defense could have got them off the field too, and the drives were extended. They still ended in punts, but the drives were extended. Um, they held on a couple of fourth downs that the Seahawks went for. They actually held them, um, and they could have got them off the field a little quicker in some in some instances, but um, with some missed tackles and things too. But uh, overall, they played well. Um. On the offensive side of the ball, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about Daniel Jones, and I've seen all the Daniel Jones sucks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I st- it's, Daniel Jones is still so strange. I, the jury, I still believe the jury to be kind of out on him uh, because this was a point I was talking about with somebody about Zach Wilson. Uh, to, so to go over to Zach Wilson and the Jets and Chiefs there, Zach Wilson played the best game of his career. Like that, that those three quarters, he was bad in the first quarter, but those last three, he looked actually good. Uh, he looked like the player the Jets had hoped he was when they drafted him. Now, why was that? Well, Wilson looked like he was playing with confidence against the Chiefs in those final three quarters. He looked like a confident quarterback. He walked up to that line and took those snaps and slung the ball all over the field. Nice passes. Good decisions. So 
he looked like a guy playing with confidence, like that he was like, yeah, I'm going to go out here and, and I, I can do no wrong. I don't know where the hell he found that confidence after the first quarter in the last three games, but he played confident. Now, what does that have to do with Daniel Jones? Well, for one, Daniel Jones did not look confident at any point of that game this, this last night, and he has not looked very confident at any point this year except for the second half against the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals aren't that good of a team. They're going to finish with less than five wins most likely, okay, or somewhere around five wins. But Jones looked confident in the second half of that game. He was slinging the ball, making plays, right? And, of course, Barkley was in that game, and that makes a big difference to to not have him and everything, too. But he looked like a confident man back there. Last night, he did not look confident at all, in the slightest. Now, why was that? It's hard to be confident and play well when you get sacked 11 times. You heard that right, 11 times. The Giants have not had, I tweeted this last night, the Giants have not had a good offensive line in over 10 years. I I really don't remember that well when they had a good one. It's been bad. They wasted the last six, seven years of Eli Manning's career, you know, post uh, the second Super Bowl that they won. They wasted those years. Where because that man would snap the, the ball would get snapped and he'd get sacked immediately. It was it was it was just horrendous PTSD flashbacks last night watching Jones getting mauled because it's like that every single week for him the last several years for Eli the back end of his career it's just it's been like that for so long. Their offensive line they they were they were out a man yesterday they had backups they missed uh, the center got hurt during the game i think the right guard got hurt during the game but it was just pitiful disgusting offensive line play and i sat there and i wondered aloud i said it to my dad i said how the hell do these offensive linemen that are that have been playing o-line likely since they were in middle school since they put pads on because they've always kind of probably been big boys you know they've been playing offensive line this whole time They went all the way through college and got drafted and made it to the NFL and all this stuff. How are they that bad? Just turnstiles at at every offensive line position. And I explained this concept to my brother too, where when you have, you don't have to have three Hall of Famers like the freaking Cowboys had for several years until Frederick uh, and his uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome, of course, uh, but they still have two Hall of Famers on the line. And then, you know, the other guys are solid. But uh, I explained that to him as a Cowboys fan where I said, I don't ever want to hear a peep out of you about the line, about your offensive line. I don't want to hear it. You've had a good, elite, top 10 O-line for the last decade. And the I explained, you know, and you can explain this to casuals, of course, out there too. Uh, take this as another uh, explanation for the casuals. When you have, like, you don't have to have three Hall of Famers on the line, but when you have, like, three good offensive linemen, solid, you know, they don't have to be the the best to ever play, and and they don't even have to always be pro bowlers or all pros or whatever. But just if you've got three good ones, decent ones, right, you can hide the other two. 
you can hide the other two linemen you can you know you can you can have your your back coming in for blocks you can come out in a two tight end set and get some double teams on the edges and you can slide over you can make your runs to the right runs to the left you can have bootleg plays where you get the quarterback out of the pocket get him some freedom to move but you you know you slide over and you're sort of protecting the the weaker o lineman you can do it you can get away with it right when you're the Giants and for a decade you've basically had, you know, there's been times where they had like one good lineman, you know, like they had one good O lineman at a time. They had a good left guard for a while or, you know, whatever, right? But when you've basically got five bad ones, five below average linemen, below that solid, decent tier that we were talking about, when all five of them are bad. There is nowhere to hide. It could be the right end getting you on one play. It could be the blitzing linebacker up the middle getting you on the next one. It could be the defensive tackle breaking through and and forcing the quarterback out and, and everything. It, it can be anybody anywhere on the defensive front forcing your quarterback into uncomfortable and less than ideal situations or killing your running game, etc. Um, and... So that offensive line play, that might be the worst performance I have ever seen from an offensive line in all of my time watching football, and it's certainly the worst I've ever seen the Giants' offensive line look like, and that is saying something. If you've been even slightly cognizant of the Giants over the last decade or or you are a Giants fan, you know that that is wild to say that, but it's true. And so that being said, Jones really made one poor decision yesterday and some people might be listening to this going no i disagree with you uh you know i disagree with you man that's fine you can disagree with me but in my opinion the one bad choice he made was on the pick six it did look like as brian dable was mouthing to him on the sidelines looking upset he said you had waller he had waller waller six foot six you float that up to waller and make him make a play on it let him make a play that's why you traded for him right but he throws a, an out route to Wandale Robinson, I think, who slipped, I think, on the play too, and it's it's just a poor choice. It's a bad read. Uh, that was a that was a bad read by Jones. Now you're sitting there going, "Well, how? What? He one mistake. He he threw two interceptions and had a fumble lost. Well, fumble lost. He dodged one man." That was flying at him from incompetent O line play and was rolling out to his right. And was being hawked down by another man who had broken through. So two guys broke through, basically, within less than two seconds of the ball being snapped. He dodges one and just doesn't know that the other one's coming. And it happens. He's you know he's looking to make a play. He's rolling out. It happens. He got nailed. He lost the ball. It's a... It's kind of a play that, like I said, it you can. There are quarterbacks like Jones struggled with losing fumbles. Quarterbacks that have better pocket awareness and they do a better job of protecting the ball when they get hit. Uh, but you know, when a, when a quarterback loses the football to a blind side, just screaming edge rusher coming where he doesn't see him, I tend to. It doesn't matter. I swear, I'd say the same thing if it was Prescott, whatever. Uh, I tend to blame the linemen that let him buy more than I'm going to blame the quarterback for that. I mean, you know, quarterback the guys flying at him and he has no clue and has very little time to react. Uh, and as it was, he dodged one guy on that play already. And another one comes screaming in where he can't see him and, and uh, loses the football and the interception. Um, 
you know, the interception, I actually think Troy Aikman broke it down very well on the broadcast last night. Aikman was basically saying that second interception was not Jones's fault. He was saying that the, there was a t- there was issue with the timing uh, because the receiver didn't get into the break quick enough and that, of course, the pressure was coming. The, the, O-line, the O-line fell apart again. It's a timing route where the receiver Jones needs like whatever it was, you know, three seconds or something, three and a half seconds for the receiver to uh, hit the break and beat the middle linebacker in the middle of the field. And you've got a completion for about 15 yards. If you can do that, he needs like three seconds or whatever it is. That's a big thing people don't understand about uh, casuals don't understand about O-lines collapsing and all that sort of stuff too, is that for certain plays to where timing is huge. And and sometimes you just don't see that from the perspective of the television broadcast. But a lot of times it's like for a, there's a certain plays they have, you know, out there on the sidelines. I think I've explained this before, but you know, um, offensive coordinators, coaches, they have plays where they're like, okay, this is the play. We have five plays that we can run when we need exactly seven yards or, we have this play in our pocket for when we need exactly 12. And I'm not even kidding. They have, you know, they, they have exact, obviously they hope that you break a tackle and you can get more, but they have plays where they're like, you know, if it was fourth down and six, they're like, this play will get us six yards or seven yards. It will, this is the, the these plays. We have these in our back pocket. And a lot of that is, it has, it has to do with timing. It's about, they need the receiver to be able to run a route and, you know, they call these plays based on the defense that they see on the field. So it's like um, they, they will know that they need, they have to have two and a half seconds for the receiver to break, to beat, you know, X, Y, and Z players. The, the, for that guy to beat the corner, beat the linebacker in the middle of the field, get to this spot, he needs two and a half seconds. So the offensive line's job is they've got to hold for that long. Obviously, holding as long as they possibly can is always the goal. But in order for certain plays to work, it's like, okay, this play needs 2.7 seconds for this guy to get to this spot. That line's got a hold for 2.7 seconds. Well, guess what? On that second interception, they didn't. So Jones looks, he sees the guy screaming in and basically goes, I've got to throw this. I've got to throw it and I've got to just, I've sort of got to throw this and pray. And because at that point, they're also down 21-3. So he's like, I've got to throw it and pray. There's no, there's, I think it was third down on that play too. It's like, there's, there's nothing I can do here. I've got to throw this. If it gets picked, then that, oh, well. But I've got to throw it. And, um, you know, because we're down three touchdowns, basically, and that's that. But um, so I put less fault on Jones for that one, too, uh, and uh, as well. But uh, Jones, it's just so hard to say, you know, still, after these years, it's it's hard to say how good or or he is or isn't. And I tend to to err on the side that he is a solid player uh, where if you could just drop him off in a situation like San Francisco or, or Dallas or, or these other places that have these great O lines to work with, it just, I think you just see a whole level different of play from that guy. Um, you know, he played very well last year and uh he he probably had a better line than he's seen in a while last year too but it, it wasn't great they didn't have a great line last year either but um i tend to err on the side that jones you know if 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 he was in a situation where he could play with some confidence you know um would play much better 
and that's that's just the the most painful thing as a Giants fan is uh is just knowing that um it's right there in front of them that we have good players uh in different positions around the field we just don't have the good ones where it super super matters you know you can have as long as you have a great o line if you have a if you have a good o line you know you can do a lot more but if you have a great o line you can have jobbers at running back wide receiver just have yourself a game manager and some guys that are that, whose legs work and you'll be able to score some points you'll be able to put points on the board and win games uh but uh it it's just difficult when you don't uh and I've been a, a Jones defender and I can understand some people going I can't defend him after that I I understand it I do you know because it was ugly it looked bad uh but I just think that uh I think he's going to shoulder a lot of the, or he has shouldered from the casuals a lot of uh, a lot of the blame for yesterday. He does not deserve a lot of the blame. He deserves some blame. Sure. He does. He deserves some blame for the, for the reasons I outlined some spots that I outlined. He doesn't deserve the majority of it though. The offensive line was straight up pitiful, 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 pitiful. And it, it it just doesn't get any worse than that. It doesn't get any worse than that as a unit, giving up 11 sacks and I believe 26 pressures to the quarterback. So that was an additional, there's the 11 sacks and then an additional 15 times that he was very close to being sacked. Put it that way. Uh, he also ran for quite a few yards on the ground because he he had no time. He's scrambling out of there for his life. There's no time for the plays to develop downfield, and he's taken off. And I give Jones a lot of credit for the guts because early from the early point in the game when he saw it was going to be a rough one out there and he would take off with his legs, he wasn't sliding. That man was putting his shoulder down. He was diving forward. He wasn't scampering out of bounds. He was diving, and he was fighting for every single yard when he took off on those plays. Don't believe me? Go watch the replays. Go watch. Early in the game, I think he took a slide or two earlier in the game. After that, I don't think he slid for the rest of the game. Um, he was he was out there fighting for yards on every play and putting his shoulder down because he knew that was the only way they were going to move the ball. And um, he also, Aikman said it best at the end because Aikman was just getting, it was funny because Aikman was basically by the second half of the game, Aikman was was out there, and, and shout out to Troy Aikman for this, really, because it, it helps instead of just piling on and saying, oh, Jones sacked again and offering no additional information or anything. Aikman, having been a quarterback, was up there trying to defend Daniel Jones, basically. Was trying to tell the public, like, hey, this is not all on Jones. And that, that, like, this isn't Jones just deciding to suck or get sacked. This is not Daniel Jones playing like Justin Fields where he's got a clean pocket for eight seconds and takes a sack. This is Daniel Jones being sacked in one and a half seconds every time he snaps the ball and not having any time to do anything or any plays to develop or anything. And by the end of that, I think it was after the 11th sack and Jones is walking off the field taking his helmet off. Aikman was up there saying, like, I really applaud Jones. I can't believe that he has kept his composure. 
I think Aikman was basically saying if that was him down there on the field taking 11 sacks, that he would have lost it a long time ago. That he would have ripped loose on the O-line, on the sidelines, and the coaches, and whoever else. That, that he would have been livid and showing it. And that he gave him props for basically, he took it all game and did not publicly blast his guys or anything like that. And, and didn't yell at them or anything like that. Um, on the field, he, he was a class act. He was a professional in that spot. And that Aikman was saying that he didn't think that he would have been, that Troy himself would have been, would have been able to contain his, his anger um, on the sidelines and uh, that, that Jones kept his composure and that it was pretty unbelievable that he was able to do that. So, um, you know, I'm just going to throw that out there. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. And, you know, maybe 10 years from now, it will have turned out that they got Jones help and that they got a good offensive line. And maybe just Jones just isn't good. He's just mediocre. Maybe that's true. But uh, it's just, it, it's hard. I cannot crucify a guy for what I know to be abhorrent circumstances to play in. You know, I just, I just can't crucify a guy who snaps the ball and gets sacked 11 times uh, and pressured 26 times. I can't do it. It's, it's not fair. And I wouldn't do it to, uh, I wouldn't do it to anybody. Uh, I'm sticking up for him a little harder maybe because it's the giants, but I wouldn't do it to anybody. It's just, it's, it's sad. I, I, it, it sucks to watch games where quarterbacks just snap the ball and they're dead. You know, they just, they're, they're on the ground. It, it sucks. It's, it's, it's bad football. It sucks to watch. And, and, uh, I feel bad for a quarterback that, uh, because I know that not just Daniel Jones, but any quarterback that goes out there and is, is getting, you know, getting blasted like that when the game ends and the score is a blowout, they're going to say, ah, quarterback sucks. All casuals are going to say quarterback sucks. He sucks. What a bad game. He stinks. When, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth. I can say the same thing about Mahomes in the Super Bowl against Brady. He got blown out. Why'd that happen? Because Patrick Mahomes had to run for, what was it, like 480 yards behind the line of scrimmage, scrambling left, right, backwards, forwards, wherever he could. Um, because the offensive line was Swiss cheese. The, the defensive front just slammed right through them like they weren't even there, like they were traffic cones standing there when Mahomes snapped the ball uh, in that Super Bowl. And I felt bad for Mahomes because people the takeaway from casuals and from the dopes on TV and everything was going to be Brady's the GOAT. Mahomes, Mahomes couldn't beat him. Brady's incredible. And it was like Brady didn't do that. Brady wasn't out there rushing the passer. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was all. That was Mahomes running for his freaking life uh, on every play. And, um, you know, having to having to try to overcome incredibly poor offensive line play in the Super Bowl against a, another very good team isn't just not going to happen. So, um, you know, again, uh, you got you got to look at the whole the big picture and everything and 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 all the stuff that that, that goes into it uh, before you can make uh, judgments like the judgments you can make about Justin Fields where he's, you know, like I went off on last week where he stands in the pocket all day and then takes a sack or throws a terrible interception or just doesn't see somebody. That's bad quarterback play. That's bad quarterback play. Speaking of uh, which, uh, I believe Fields and the Bears will be taking on, uh, it's a really pitiful matchup. Let's let's go to it here as we move into that, transition into that. They'll be taking on the Commanders on Thursday night football. So I'm sure Al Michaels is just thrilled to be calling that game. Um, so let's go 
and do that. So for the record, my NFL week four predictions got 12 of 16, right? Pretty good. 75%. 75%. We'll take that. So uh, we'll see if I can best that or perhaps end up worse than that by predicting for week five. Uh, so week five, we see the Bears take on the Commanders on Thursday night football. I'm going to say Washington takes that game. We're going to go Commanders, write that one down. They're going to take that because the Bears are just awful. Um, Bills, Jaguars, Bills are taking that one. That's on Sunday at 8.30 a.m. in London. I think the Bills are going to take that one. Um, although, you know, you never know how that could turn out where as well because the Jaguars have been in London for two weeks. So, you know, maybe the Bills aren't quite acclimated. Who knows? But I think the Bills will go out there and take care of business. Uh, Texans-Falcons. Hmm. That one's in Atlanta. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna be a little bit boldish here. I think I'm going to take the Texans in that matchup. I'm going to take the Texans over the, the Falcons. Uh, Panthers-Lions. I'm taking the Lions. I think the Lions' good season continues with another win against uh, Carolina. Uh, Titans and Colts in Indianapolis. Uh, I'll I'll try to read them in the in, you know away team first, home team second, so I don't have to specify that. But Titans Colts um, taking the Colts there. I took them last week and they lost, but it was close against the Rams. I'm going to take them over the Titans. Uh, Giants Dolphins. I'm taking the Dolphins. Uh, Saints Patriots in New England. Taking the Patriots. I, I know I said they sucked, but so do the Saints. Um, and the Patriots are at home. I think that helps, and I'm not sure that Carr is healthy yet. I'm taking the Pats there. Uh, although I could easily see the Saints winning that game like 20-17 to 17 or something like that. I don't think that's going to be a barn burner. Let's put it that way. Uh, Ravens, Steelers. Ravens take that. They continue their momentum after the beatdown of the Browns. They're going to beat down the Steelers. Uh, Bengals, Cardinals. In Arizona. I'm going to bet the Bengals because they've got to turn it around at some point, right? There's no way. So I'm taking Bengals there. Um, Eagles, Rams, Eagles taking them in that one. Although, what I will say, that is in LA. What I will say is um, that game might be closer than what you might expect. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think the Eagles take it. But if the Rams do somehow take it, like the Eagles could easily kind of blow them out. But I think the Rams might have something for them. We'll see. Um, if the Rams take it, it, you know, I could see like a a uh, 31-28 type game. But uh, I am going to take the Eagles there because it's just hard to bet against a team that's been 4-0 and has looked real sharp. Uh, Jets-Broncos in Denver. Ooh, boy, that's a tough one, huh? Like, actually, because, you know, Zach Wilson comes out and plays like he did uh, on Sunday night. Uh, Jets take that one. Uh, you know, I'm doing it. I'm going Jets. I'm going Jets. Uh, Chiefs-Vikings taking the Chiefs there. Uh, Cowboys-49ers taking the 49ers. I think 49ers come out uh, on top. That is in Santa Clara. It is a prime time game, and um, Dak Prescott usually pisses all over himself in prime time and against good teams. 
Um, so I am going to uh, I'm going to go 49ers there. I think I think that they're going to win that game. I think they're going to control it. I think it's going to be like a 24-14 kind of game, but it wasn't even really that close. You know what I mean? Like I think that they'll it'll feel like they have control uh, the whole game, even if they don't go out and have a huge lead. I think they're going to take that one, something like 24-14. Um, Packers, Raiders. Uh, Packers and Raiders, I'm taking... This is in Vegas. Mm. The Raiders are really disjointed. And pretty bad. I'm gonna take the Packers. Screw it. Taking the Packers. I've, I took a couple of risky ones this week. We'll see if they pay off or whether my percentage is worse because of it. But uh, I'm taking the pack over the Raiders. Seahawks, Browns, Bucks, and Chargers have a bye week. So this is the first week. There we go. I was see. I was looking up the bye week. So we get the first bye week um, this year. So Seahawks, Browns, Bucks, Chargers. No game. Uh, their next game, Seattle will play Cincinnati. Uh, after the bye week, the Browns play the Niners after the bye week, Bucks versus Detroit, and Chargers versus Dallas. Um, that's uh, that's the next next set of games. So uh, for them after that. So there you have it. That's our week four NFL recap, our predictions for week five. We'll see how correct or incorrect uh, that I will be on those. You guys can you know feel free to give me your picks and everything. Uh, out on social media where you can reach me. Love to see it. Um, yeah. So that's uh, we'll see how uh, week five plays out, and um, you know, after an interesting week four. So we're gonna move on to the NASCAR portion of the show this week, and um, talk about uh, Talladega. So, the Yellowwood 500 was this last Sunday at Talladega, and uh, great race, awesome race. Uh, it was pretty clean. Uh, there, there wasn't, there actually really wasn't a lot of wrecking. I think, I think the drivers and with this car in particular and everything, I think these drivers and the way the stages work and all that, they play it pretty cool for most of the race. Um, I mean, they've kind of always done that, but they play it pretty cool for most of the race, and. Um, don't get uh, too aggressive if they if they can't help it until you kind of get down the definitely when you're coming to the stage points uh they get they get dicey and they start to get dicey really about halfway through the final uh the final uh stage at least they did this past week and uh it was a good one though it was a good race uh start to finish so coming into this race um let's see Coming into this race, let's see if we can get the the standings post Texas because that's where we were at. Um, that's where we were at last week. So post Texas, we have a couple other little NASCAR things to talk about here, actually, too. Um, sorry, I'm just going all the way back on the Twitter account because I'm not sure if I can check it from different points. Going all the way back on the NASCAR Twitter account, see if I can find the points. I just didn't want to be wrong about this. Um, from from last week. Uh yeah. So 
following the race at Texas in this round of uh, 12, right? That's where we're at. Yeah, round of 12, moving to the round of 8. So, after Texas, uh, we had Byron, Hamlin, Busher, Bell, Truex, Chastain, Keselowski, Larson. Uh, with Bubba Wallace 2 below the cut line, Reddick 3 below it, Blaney 11 below it, and Kyle Busch 17 below it. Well, trouble befell Chastain and Kyle Busch at Talladega. Uh, Kyle Busch uh, had problems, and uh, basically he had problems early that uh, affected his race car, and uh, he ended up finishing 25th. He just the arrow wasn't good. He ended up finishing 25th, and uh, Ross Chastain got involved uh, and wrecked and taken out of the race by uh, the stupidity of Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s crew chief, um, who they managed to run out of gas. I also don't know how it's it's partially it's mostly on the crew chief for the gas calculations, uh, partially on Ricky Stenhouse Jr. because uh, I really don't know how the heck you run out of gas at Talladega when you're running in the pack. If it happened at the front, because you use more gas, because you're on the you know you're on the throttle more than you are when you're just uh, kind of uh, running uh, half throttle, three quarter throttle through the pack uh, and saving gas. I don't know how you run out of gas in the middle of the pack like Stenhouse did. So I think that was poor management on his part, as well as a poor calculation from the crew chief. But um, he runs out of gas and tries to get out of the way, but he can't really. And uh, Kyle Busch gets into him. That kind of stacks everybody up. And Chastain gets into it and spun out and hits the wall and breaks the toe link in the front end, I think, or something. And uh, he's out of the race. So that sucks. As a, I, I root for Chastain. I like Chastain. Uh, that sucked for him. He's usually pretty good. Uh, runs pretty good at the plate tracks. Um, So he... Uh, you know, was 12 points to the good before the race started. He comes out of it. Um, let's see. 10 points below the cut line going into the Roval. Uh, let's see. And, uh, yeah. So anyway, the way that, um, the way that the race shook out, Ryan Blaney went from being 11th in the points to locking in his position in the round of eight by winning at Talladega. He won, uh, in stunning fashion at the line, very close. Um, I, let me see, not sure how much he won by, uh, but he, uh, he did, it was very close. I mean, it was just a few feet, um, over Harvick. Harvick actually ended up getting disqualified, uh, in the post-race inspection for loose, uh, windshield fasteners. So he was disqualified and ended up finishing um, last, 38th, as uh, as a result of the disqualification. And uh, let's see. So Blaney wins. Byron finished second. That helped, uh, you know, his overall points and all that stuff. Uh, you know, doesn't really matter very much because he's locked into the next round. Hamlin finished third. That was good for him. Corey LaJoy finished fourth. He caused the big wreck at the end. Uh, dopey Corey LaJoy. Um, he, you know, this guy has, for some reason, is given a pass. Uh, he annoys me. He's given a pass um, for driving aggressively because they're like, well, he, you know, he drives uh, lower tier equipment. So you got to drive aggressively and take what you can get sometimes. It's like, okay, fair enough. Got that. Uh, but when it 
constantly seems to he constantly seems to cause a ridiculous amount of trouble uh to people he's he's always it seems like when you got something happening late in the race you know two-thirds of the way through the race and something happens and there's multiple cars involved it's he's always there it's always his fault uh or it seems like he's he's involved in that a lot um he and especially at super speedways he pl- drives extremely aggressively at the end of races where you know uh, he caused probably had to be over a million dollars worth of damage uh in cars uh if, if it wasn't it was several hundred thousand dollars if it wasn't over a million uh dollars in damage to cars by turning the 36 of herbst as they're coming to the start finish line they're probably a hundred yards from the start finish line or something not that far a couple hundred yards maybe from the start finish line and he just pulls an ultra aggro move instead of riding behind and pushing the 36 he he pulls an ultra aggro move that spins the 36 and collects a bunch of cars wrecks uh you know guys go spinning across the start finish line wrecks a bunch of cars uh and causes a bunch of damage and then he coasts on twitter afterwards and goes like hell yeah man p5 we did it it was like big dog you wrecked like a dozen cars at the end of the race at least and you're going on here going like yeah we got a p5 okay champ you know like so I guess what I'm saying is, at what point does do we stop pretending that Corey LaJoy is actually like a good race car driver? Uh, and when do we acknowledge that he just junks people and does a bunch of stupid crap constantly under the guise of like, well, we're stacking pennies, driving that C equipment, baby. You know, when, when do we when do we start actually criticizing him for it? Um, and I said that because, you know, you, people are like, oh, he deserves a better ride. They should give Corey LaJoy a, he needs to get into a better car. If he got into a better car and drive the way that he did, I think that the sympathy would go away real fast. And you have a lot of people going like, this guy's kind of a, an ass. What the hell? And it's like, well, but you're giving him a pass right now for doing the exact same thing. So I'm just saying there's a difference between driving aggressively and fighting for every position because you're in that C, C tier equipment or whatever uh, and driving like a jackass. And uh, more often than not, he drives like a jackass. Uh, as opposed, the, the the line is thin. Let's put it that way, between um, fair aggression and jackassery. Uh, so he often does that, and he did it and junked uh, junked a bunch of cars and probably caused uh, several hundred thousand bucks, maybe a million bucks in damage on uh, on Sunday, and then celebrated about it. So you know, screw him. Uh, Austin Cindric ended up finishing fifth. Haley finishing sixth. Chase Elliott finishing seventh. Ryan Priest eighth. In that uh, Talladega Nights Ricky Bobby car. Riley Herbst spinning across the line in ninth. He would have got a top five if Corey LaJoy wasn't a jackass, as previously mentioned. Uh, Daniel Suarez with a 10th place uh, effort there. Uh, Kyle Larson, I believe, also would have had a nicer finish if it wasn't for Corey LaJoy. He finished 15th. uh, And uh, it would have been top 10 uh, if Corey LaJoy wasn't stupid. Um but uh, so Larson gets uh, is is going to be seventh in points here. We're running down the points now. William Byron, uh, first place in the points in this round. Blaney, uh, second place in the points with locking himself in as well after Byron won at Texas. Blaney winning at Talladega. Denny Hamlin in third place. Um, I could be corrected if I'm wrong, but I think it's pretty much mathematically almost impossible for Hamlin to not make it to the next round. 
excuse me, I think he's not technically locked in. I guess there's some wild sequence of events that could happen that allows Hamlin to somehow not make it, but I believe Hamlin's pretty much locked in. He's 50 points to the good uh, heading into the Roval. Uh, Christopher Bell is 22 to the good heading in. Busher, 19. Uh, Truex in sixth, 17 points up. Larson in seventh, 15 point, points up. Keselowski, two points up in eighth in the final cutoff position. However, Tyler Reddick is in the ninth position and is only two points below Keselowski there. Uh, and Reddick is very good at road courses. He's very good. He's an excellent road course driver, easily a top five in the field at the road courses. And, um, you know, I would be shocked if he doesn't have a top five effort on uh, on Sunday. And uh, I think Reddick is going to sneak in. I think he sneaks in. I think he, take, I think he knocks Keselowski out. And he takes it uh, by virtue of a very good run at uh, at the Roval. Um, Bubba Wallace. <laughs> Bubba did not have a very good day. Uh, he finished 24th, I think, at uh, Talladega. Finished 24th or 23rd, I guess, after the Harvick disqualification. Finished 23rd, nine points below the cut line, going into a road course where road courses he is historically poor at. Um, it would pretty much take a miracle, I think, for him to get in with nine points below and having to deal with Redick and Kozlowski um, around that cut line. Plus, Chastain is only one point below Bubba, and Chastain is is a, a much better road course racer than Bubba is as well. So he's battle. He's he would have to. You'd basically Bubba would basically need a, a top five finish if I'm doing the math kind of right. He'd need a top five finish at the Roval, and he'd need Reddick, Chastain, and Bush, and Kislowski to all finish below fifteenth or something. Um, sorry, not Bush doesn't really count in that. He's twenty six points below. Uh, Kyle Bush is going to need to win this race pretty much in order to get in. Um, and uh, so I I think it's uh. Bubba's pretty much done. I think he knows it. That's why he was so dejected in his interview, though he is often dejected. Um, but, uh, yeah, Bubba, not a good race for him at Talladega. Um, and uh, probably not going to make it. Uh, Chastain, I think, has a better outside shot, even though he's technically a point below uh, Bubba there. I think he has a, he is the better favorite between those two on the outside shots of actually making it and winning the Roval race. But I wouldn't quite count out Kyle Busch either. You never know. He could show up and win that dang thing. Uh, and that would really make things crazy. Um, that would push I would push some people push some people out and make some other people quite nervous. Uh, Bush, obviously, he has a record. He's won races on road courses. He is a fine road course racer. Uh, it depends on you know what they can bring to the track. And I think you know he's going to be aggressive going after the win. Um Come Sunday, so and Chastain, of course, won at Coda um, last year. I believe it was scored his first NASCAR victory. I think at Coda, Circuit of the Americas down in Austin. Uh, so you know, again, uh, I you know, is it that insane to say that Chastain could run a top five and and uh, Reddick and Kozlowski could have problems and and have him uh, have him sneak in? It's possible. Uh, it's possible. But, uh, you know, could he be good enough to win? Could Kyle Busch be good enough to win? I think both of those guys could absolutely win the race. Uh, but they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to contend with Reddick. They're going to have to contend with McDowell, who, uh, despite not being in the playoffs anymore, I mean, he's a good road racer. Suarez is a good road racer. 
Chase Elliott is a good road racer. Hamlin, Christopher Bell, the, the Truex. There's a lot of guys that are going to be fighting to win that race uh, on Sunday and uh, and everything. But uh, don't count out Chastain and Bush. Uh, don't count them out on the road course, and certainly not Tyler Reddick. Uh, so that's how they stand uh, after after that. Reddick two below the cut line. Wallace nine, Chastain ten below, and Kyle Busch twenty six points below uh, after a not so good day at Talladega for Bush. But uh, they head into the Roval probably for the final time, as uh, we're we're waiting on the NASCAR schedule to be announced. But likely, uh, it will be back to two races at the Oval. It's uh, 99% is what it's looking like because the Oval, Charlotte Oval, has produced such good racing in the last couple of years. They're going to go ahead and ditch the Roval off the schedule, get it back to the Oval. Some other news that I was going to talk about today, uh, indeed, uh, that I alluded to earlier, was that um, Iowa, Iowa Speedway, is heading to the Cup schedule, uh, I believe, for the first time. I believe they've only ever run... uh, the Xfinity series there in the past and uh, NASCAR is going to Iowa Speedway, a short track. Um, and uh, that's really cool. I think um, I'm not sure who's losing a race or what's getting juggled around or what's happening yet. Right. Because for Iowa to get a race, then somebody must be losing one. They're moving a date from somewhere. Uh, we don't know what yet. We're not sure what, what's, what's going to be losing a date. Um, Cause apparently they're returning to Chicago first another street race next year i didn't know that that was official but it seems like it is it's on the website um the chicago city of chicago website i believe 2024 uh so i guess that's that's going back but uh so i'm not sure who's losing what um but uh because we know we're we know we're getting the brickyard oval back that's official they're not going to run on the the indy road course anymore it was stupid that they did that in the first place i know the racing wasn't great at indy but they shouldn't have done that in the first place and we're getting rid of the Roval, but it's being replaced by the Charlotte Oval. So, yeah, not sure who's losing a race or what's getting shuffled around, but we will find out um, pretty shortly, I think. And we'll definitely talk about that when the schedule drops. But, uh, yeah, they're getting – Iowa's getting a NASCAR race They're at the short track there. Um, the length, it is it is a seven-eighths seven eighths of a mile track, so just under a mile. Um, kind of a D-shape. It's it's not a it's not a D shape the way that Charlotte or Texas or Atlanta is. It's not as extreme, um, but it's also not a um, it's also not Dover. If that makes sense. It's not a a completely um, what's the word I'm looking for? Symmetrical oval. Um, so should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Um, I think that's cool. So Iowa's getting a race. Um, let's see. And then, um, yeah, the other news was, well, the other news in part was to, to talk about was that Charlotte was going to be returning to, um, Charlotte was going to be returning to, uh, uh, away from the Roval and returning to the Oval and, uh, um, while that's not technically official, it sure sounds like it's almost there uh, because uh, I believe, I think it was Dale Earnhardt Jr. said on the Dale Jr. download uh, last week, he said, oh yeah, we're going back to the Oval. So I, I think he's got a little bit of inside knowledge there where 
Um, that's that's definitely going to happen. But we're going to find out the rest of the schedule. Uh, we don't know yeah, who's going to lose a race. I'll take a quick look here at the NASCAR schedule for this year to speculate maybe about who could be losing a race. Um, they're going back to the Coliseum. That's another little piece of news since we're talking about racing. They're going back to the Coliseum for the Clash. I think that's a poor choice. I think it's going to have even worse television ratings and worse turnout than it did last year. It's it's a it's a it's an arcadey stupid race if you ask me. I, I think it was a good idea. It was cool. That was the kind of thing where it was a good idea. It's cool to do once there, but to do the same race three times in the same place is just in in this gimmicky tiny little track is just not the move if you ask me. Uh, let's see. Oh, I suppose. Okay, so I suppose Iowa's going to be run. Nobody will technically. I don't think anybody's going to technically lose their race this coming year, although I could be wrong, because they're running uh, Auto Club will not be run next year since it's being changed from the two-mile track to the short track. That's going to take over a year and will not be ready for the 2024 season. It'll be ready for 2025. So Iowa is being slotted in instead of Auto Club. Uh, so I don't think... I don't think anybody will be losing a race next year, but the cuts could come. If Iowa produces a good race and good turnout, the cuts could be coming uh, the following year. Uh, they are returning the other piece of news. That's what it was off the top of my head. I couldn't think of it. The other piece of news was that um, the all-star race will be returning to North Wilkesboro. So that's awesome. They're going to be repaving Wilkesboro for those who were like, oh my God, the race was boring. The all-star is boring. Larson won by a, you know 30 seconds. Well, they're repaving it. That's going to change the track. That's going to change the strategy. It's going to change the way the race is run uh, and everything. But uh, they're returning to the all-star for the all-star race at Wilkesboro. So that's awesome. Love that. Uh, obviously, if the racing is good and stuff, that could also come into play for the 2025 schedule for running the, you know, running a cup race, a points race there. We'll see. Um, okay, so a race that could be on the chopping block could be worldwide technology raceway. It depends on whether they signed like a contract to run a certain amount of races at the track. Uh, but worldwide technology raceway is in Illinois, of course. And, um, with them putting a race in Iowa, you know, you're kind of, and then they have the Chicago street race. You're kind of like in the proximity. That could be something that could be on the chopping block for 2025. Maybe. Um, they ran, uh, Sonoma and Nashville. Uh, I doubt Nashville goes anywhere. I think they only have one date on the schedule, so I doubt that goes anywhere. Sonoma's obviously not going anywhere. That's Northern California. They're not losing that crowd. They're running the Chicago street race again. Uh, Atlanta has been an incredible race, so that's, that's not going anywhere. Uh, New Hampshire not going anywhere. Um, Pocono not going anywhere. Richmond. Richmond could be in danger of losing a race because the racing at Richmond just has not been good for quite a while now. It's a track that has the potential to really run some great racing, but it just hasn't been good for a while, so that could lose a race. Uh, that's possible. Uh, Michigan. Michigan's been good. Um, in fact, uh, does Michigan only have one date? Um, Michigan does only have one date. I could see that. I could see them getting two, to be honest, uh, with how good the racing's been. The mile and a half package—that's it's two mile track, but the intermediate package, right? 
the intermediate non-restrictor plate package has been so good. I could see them getting a date. Uh, you know, you take a date from, um, take a date from Richmond and take a date from, uh, uh, where was it? Take away worldwide technology raceway and you get a second one to Michigan and another one to, um, what's it called? Uh, auto club. But uh, let's see, Darlington's obviously not going anywhere. Watkins Glen's not going anywhere. In Indianapolis, obviously, Daytona, the second race there, is not going anywhere. Texas is not going anywhere, not because the track doesn't suck. It does suck, but uh, it's not going anywhere because um, of the market, obviously. The, the, they draw in people from New Mexico, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Louisiana, the entire state of Texas, which is huge, and um, even people drive down from Kansas and stuff to come to the Texas race, so. That's not going anywhere, though the track, as we talked about last week, does need to be changed. It sucks. Um, let's see. Yeah, the Roval, that's going away. We know that. Um, Vegas has two dates. Um, Vegas has been decent racing. I don't know what turnout is like. I guess they're probably not getting rid of that because it draws in, uh, you know, Nevada, Utah, um, Arizona, Southern California draws in like a lot of people from probably a lot of places around there. Uh, Homestead Miami's not going anywhere, obviously, and um, Martinsville uh, is not going anywhere, and Phoenix is not going anywhere. So, uh, although I guess Phoenix could lose a second date, I think they don't they run there earlier in the year. Yes, they run two races there. It's I guess it's possible that they could lose a date, depending on the geographical implications and races and stuff. But uh, we'll see. We'll talk about the schedule um, in more in depth when it comes out, it'll probably be out before I record the next episode next week. So we'll talk about that on next week's episode. Most likely, um, we'll have some hockey and stuff to talk about here soon. Hockey season starts, uh, basketball season starts. Um, though, you know, the, you know, I don't, I don't know if there'll be too much compelling to talk about in the NBA, but, um, maybe we'll discuss it a little bit. Soon, uh, the NBA still doesn't start for another month, I don't think, or or at the end of the month. But uh, the NHL does start in like the next less than two weeks, I think. Um, in the next ten days, I think is when the games start. So we'll talk about that. We always like some hockey. Um, of course, just a very brief mention: Damian Lillard traded. That was a big deal in the NBA. Damian Lillard traded from the Trailblazers to the Bucks. He wanted to go to Miami. Everybody thought that would be a done deal at some point. He ends up in Milwaukee with Giannis. So uh, we'll see how that works out there. But um, let's see. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode, though, guys. Thank you all for listening. Everybody who's made it to this point of the podcast episode, Victory Cigar. Uh, we are going to uh, get another episode probably out. Same time next week should be probably Tuesday. I think that's kind of our designated day, at least during the NFL season, because NFL and NASCAR and stuff, because we got events going on over the weekend and and um, and on uh, Sunday, Monday, all that stuff. So it uh, gives us plenty of time to talk about all that and keep going. So, yeah, uh, again, um, we'll be here next week to talk about, see how those uh, MLB um, wildcard rounds shook out, because I think that's probably all going to be over by then it's only three game series so they should be uh we'll talk about how the wild card round shook out and see how our predictions held up as well as the um next uh, round the divisional round of the uh, major league baseball playoffs we'll see how that goes and talk about week five in the nfl um we'll probably start to give a little bit of college to ncaa or sorry 
college coverage to NCAA uh, football as we get a little deeper into the season two because uh, we're kind of finally getting into some good matchups and stuff, right? We're, we're finally getting some teams playing each other that should be. So uh, probably catch a, a little bit of coverage of that next week too. Uh, thank you for listening to episode number seven of the Victory Cigar Podcast. And don't forget to follow on Twitter, or sorry, X, formerly known as Twitter, at Victory Cigar Pod, and of course all the other social places where you guys know me from. Uh, don't forget to follow on um, on X and um, let me know. You know, let me know what you think of the episode. Let me get uh, your opinions on my opinions and uh, get some good uh, good stuff out there. Uh, get the interaction going. I'd love to hear it. Um, love to hear more. So, yeah. Thanks again. Victory Cigar Podcast, episode number seven at Victory Cigar Pod on X, formerly known as Twitter. We'll see you next time.